Blog Talk Radio. Black history is more than just slavery. For those of you who aspire to know my name, I am Asia, but you could also refer to me as the author of inspiration and ambition. I am the equilibrium that balances quality over quantity. I am the young woman that seeks legitimacy and authenticity. As I reflect upon my experiences, I have come to realize that society portrays me as unconscious and unwoke. But I am woke. The fearful white man, Willie Lynch, established a guideline that became very potent to the mind. He preached, keep the body, take the mind. In other words, have the slaves be physically strong, but mentally broken, have the skinny woman and the big woman competing amongst each other. But most importantly, teach the black woman independence. He knew that his influence will last for centuries. We abide by this concept so much we found in eras in which the majority of the youth thrive in female-dominated households. We have the black men slaughter each other, and overflow the prison cells. A black man kills another black man, aiming the gun to his head. And all it took was one flick of the trigger and another body becomes buried six feet under and forgotten. That's exactly what Willie Lynch planned for us, to be the executioners of our own history. However, they are wrong. I am descendant of the kings and queens of Africa. And the responsibility of royalty is to captivate the hearts of others by depicting vigor over weakness. For example, Queen Nzinga negotiated harmony amongst the Portuguese and her brother's kingdom despite having to suffer the loss of her only son. Additionally, I've come from people who have created a new sense of self, the Greeks, relied on the Egyptians for book resources. Pharaohs, kings, and queens in all the African cultures were mentally rich. Today's struggles of black Americans may be different than those of our ancestors, but as teenagers, we face our own set of obstacles. I endured the afflictions caused by my father's absence the man who watched the female sovereign pick petals off of flowers she grew in her own garden. He loves me. He loves me not. The man who said his vows and pledged to love the goddess unconditionally but watched her cry after almost losing her child, me. I never begged the man or anybody else for sympathy because although that happened to me, I am resilient. I learned that I do not need a man to feel validated. I am just as powerful. The only love and acceptance I need is from myself. Self-love is a magnet that draws people towards you. 
And once you realize just how much you are worth, you will stop giving people discounts and never settle for less. Life, sorry. To put it in perspective, Africans have endured the lash of the whip and suffered from the Middle Passage. Captives were held in poor health from the mental and physical abuse they had endured. Furthermore, I come from people that are tough and don't make any excuses. Despite their circumstances, they have shown that heroism is earned, not given. Lastly, I have learned from my experiences that I am not the product of my circumstances, but rather the product of my decisions. I am the words that Maya Angelou utters in her poetry verses. She stated, people will forget what you did. People will forget what you said. But people will never forget how you made them feel. When I speak, my words are never slurred. My actions never accidental. And my impact on the mind forever stays. I vocalize my perspective of liberty as if I were Coretta Scott King. Freedom is never really won. You earn it, and you win it in every generation. I am the female version of John Anthony Copeland. I will never let the judicial system deteriorate my confidence. Black history is more than just slavery. It is made of inventors who make contributions to society, philosophers who became their own survivors for the troubles that they have faced. I will use my knowledge to implement change that will create a better world and a brighter future. Thank you. How do we define black history? Is it a plethora of stories about slavery confined to a single 28-day or 29-day month? Is it a watered-down, two-hour version of what the black experience is really like? Or does it look like your tired peers in your ninth-grade social studies class complaining to you about how exhausting it is to be learning about Dr. King for the tenth time since second grade? In light of our current socio-political climate, the need for non-conventional black stories to be integrated into American history and English curricula is at its highest because they convey to students the adversity African-Americans face on a day-to-day -day basis and how several of them have learned to create and innovate in spite of this. Now, I was raised in an environment where several people I was close to didn't look like me. My mother is a Pacific Islander, my father is black, and for all my life, we've lived in an area populated by a small minority of black family, friends, and overall students. In school, we were taught lessons about several European inventors and innovators like Leonardo da Vinci, Charles Darwin, Albert Einstein, Susan B. Anthony, Christopher Columbus, Abraham Lincoln, the list goes on. But I can never necessarily fit myself into the mold of these narratives solely because they were presented through a lens that I could not personally identify with, and they didn't feature individuals whose stories even vaguely resembled my own. Now, granted, we would learn about Dr. King and Rosa Parks in February rolled around out of the school's own obligation, but it gave me the impression that all people of color have been doing for these past few centuries is fight for their basic human rights and do nothing else but protest the white patriarchy, and that the world only held one man and one woman responsible for paving the way for the civil rights movement. 
I wasn't exposed to the idea that people of color in this country could be artists, inventors, or politicians until I researched this realm of learning in my free time. I had no idea what black history looked like until I became aware of the struggle in which several black artists and innovators' voices go unheard or masked, the struggle in which European history can often be learned within a core curriculum, but black history can only be learned through an elective, the struggle in which our textbooks turn a blind eye to the way people of color have revolutionized the way we live our day-to-day -day lives. Take Shirley Chisholm, for example. In 1968, she became the first African-American woman to enter, enter Congress and eventually seek a presidential nomination in the United States. Despite housing an, under, an underfunded campaign and being restricted from participating in any televised primary debates on a discriminatory basis, Chisel managed to enter 12 primaries and accumulate 152 delegate votes during her run due to support from African-Americans, women, and other allies from across the nation. Her story is solely representative of one's resilience as a person of color in America and as a woman in America. Then we have Louis Latimer, a brilliant inventor and engineer. In 1881, he collaborated with Hiram Maxim and Thomas Edison in order to invent the light bulb. Latimer himself created the carbon filament, which is a crucial component of the light bulb. And although it may seem insignificant, his contribution to this invention paved the way for one of the most groundbreaking devices in history which is why our history textbook should continually recognize him for the vital role he played. Finally, there is Jacob Florence, a highly renowned artist due to, due to his paintings which depict the, the several everyday narratives of African Americans and historical figures. After developing an art style which showcased the overall vibrancy and diversity of black neighborhoods, Lawrence went on to become the first African American represented by a New York gallery in 1941. During a period of widespread hatred and bigotry within our country, this man was able to display the extent of his creativity to the world, despite being considered far from capable of doing so. If we as a society are hesitant to create a push for more diversity in our English and history curricula, it creates a potential divide in what certain students feel they can and cannot be, and it limits what they feel is possible to achieve as individuals all because of the fact that several educators failed to shed light on the many contributions made by African Americans throughout history. And although it may seem, and although nearly impossible to integrate the teaching of black history in all schools nationwide, several educators and teachers have begun to implement it into their own individual curricula as a first step, to name a few. We have Jamila Pitts, a former English teacher from Harlem, Manhattan, who utilized the Harlem Renaissance in order to open up her students to a wide variety of African-American narratives and how they have taken strides to, and how they have taken strides to showcase black creativity from the 20s to the mid-30s. Mike Cackley, a former social studies and English teacher who chose not only to give a brief lesson on the civil rights movement during Black History Month, but integrated lessons about African-Americans in the context of war and foreign policy discussed in his class. And Mr. Zane Stearman, an English and avid teacher here at Mission Vista who strives to incorporate black literature by figures such as Langston Hughes and Martin Luther King Jr. in order to demonstrate their creative brilliance to her students. Hearing black stories not only sparks inspiration in the minds of young black students, but it imbues a sense of pride in them allowing them to come home and tell their parents, hey, they look like me, when referring to brilliant engineers, writers, doctors, lawyers, etc., who've essentially paved a way 
for the youth of this generation to live in prosperity and work toward an overall state of solidarity in American culture. Because black history is American history. This country we live in, the soil we walk on, and even several devices we use day to day originated from the minds of several black innovators. In the near future, I want young black boys and girls to be able to sit in their history classes and take part in the curriculum that features the stories of people like Shirley Chisholm and Louis Latimer. The youth of this generation should have the ability to skim through their English and history textbooks to reveal several people who they feel they can empathize with, people they can strive to become. And with this newfound knowledge of the great minds that came before, students of color throughout the country can reach their full potential and work toward creating a better future for our nation. In turn, this can certainly benefit the worldview of other people of color as well as non-people of color in America, because our country is a monumental blend of identities, even extending outside of the boundaries of a single race. Incorporating black stories simply opens up discussion regarding the people of color as a whole, provoking questions among educators such as, what can I do to contribute to breaking racial stereotypes? Or how can I convey to students that success does not align with a single ethnic origin? By incorporating these ideas within a classroom setting, our schools will be taking a step toward overall acceptance and solidarity by showing students that historical triumphs can be made by individuals of any origin. Thank you. Welcome to Raising Independent Thinkers. This show is a space for families who are homeschooling or thinking about homeschooling. We'll explore alternative teaching methods, federal and state homeschooling laws, and most importantly, this show is a platform where families can inspire one another on how to raise independent thinkers. I'm your host, Bathsheba Omani, Montessori educator, homeschooling consultant, owner of Homeschool Guide, LLC, and mother of two. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Hope you had um, a wonderful week. Um, I did. We celebrated my son's birthday over the weekend. He turned 21. And I'm so proud of um, the young man that he's become. He's very kind. Um, He's a very smart kid. He appreciates life. He has goals of being a story writer. And um, he also does some comic dubs and voiceover work. And I just wanted to celebrate him um, this week because he truly is a special person. So it is February. And um, this is supposed to be the only month we learn about Black history, (laughs) and I'm saying that with sarcasm. But today's topic is American history is Black history. And before I get into it, I just wanted to announce that I'll be starting up a book club this month for children. Um, I'm still in the process of all the details, but most likely it will be hosted every Monday evening. I'm thinking of starting one group, and then I'll add more groups based on the interest. Um, It will be a free, it will be free to join, 
And the only thing you would need to pay is a yearly membership fee. It will be live on Zoom. Um, If you are looking to help your child improve reading fluency, improve their comprehension, um, deepen their reading appreciation, encourage critical thinking, and, and just learning how to engage with other kids their age, please subscribe to my website at home-schoolguide.com. And I will be adding more information this week. So go ahead and subscribe to stay updated on that. Um, So I'm very excited about that. Last week, we talked about the uh, literacy strategies with Farida Goodman. And in talking with her, she actually motivated me to start up a book club for children. Um, We were talking about our love for reading. And as a child, I use books as a way to escape. Um, I always had a book in my face, and I just want to be able to share that love of reading with with children. I would eventually like to have three separate groups, um, my preschoolers, ages three to six, my lower elementary students, ages six to nine, and my upper elementary students, ages nine to 12. So please, again, if you're interested, subscribe to my website and you'll get um, notifications about all the details. So the topic on today is all about teaching our children history accurately. Um, The two clips that I played were two TED Talks. One was called Black History is American History, and that was presented by Okalani Dawkins. And the other clip was called Black History is More Than Just Slavery. And that one was presented by Asia Adams Lamar. Um, Now, both of these young ladies are students. They are young people who already understand that Black history should be integrated into American history. Um, Okalani talks about how she only learned about Black artists and inventors and politicians when she did her own research. And Asia talked about the kings and queens of Africa, which we already know that there are many inventors, kings, queens, that were um, a part of many different civilizations. And for some reason, we were never taught these things in school. And um, both young women have so much passion about learning Black history. It really motivated, um, it's really motivating to listen to what I have to say. It actually motivated me. So growing up in New York myself, I went to public school like the majority of American people. And like many public schools, we learned black history during the month of February, which consisted of learning about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, how slavery and civil rights were started. And being a person of color, and I can only speak for myself, but it was it's downright like a slap in the face, especially if you already have an idea that people of color are indigenous to this country. And it's embarrassing that black history still has such a narrow perspective. Um, And the question is, um, is why are so many contributions made by people of color, not taught in schools? And you can call in if you would like to say how you feel The number is 425-569-5169, and um, go ahead and hit the number one. Um, And even now as an adult, 
I'm still learning about my history. Now, I'm not a scholar or a history teacher, but I am intelligent enough to do my own research on Black history. And there is a book called 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro with Complete Proof. Um, This is written by Joelle Augustus Rogers, who is a highly regarded journalist in the Black press. He's a Jamaican-American author journalist and historian who contributed to the history of Africa and the African um, diaspora. After settling in the United States in 1906, he lived in Chicago and then in New York City. He became interested in the history of African Americans in the United States, and his research spanned the academic fields of history, sociology, and and anthropology. He challenged prevailing ideas about race, demonstrated the connections between civilizations, and traced African achievements. And he was one of the greatest um, popularizers of African history in the 20th century. He addressed issues such as the lack of scientific support of the idea of race and the lack of Black history being told from a Black person's perspective. And Akeem actually recommended this book to me. And I thought I would go ahead and read some of it to you. I'm going to start from the beginning of the book, which talks about the author. Um, And I always feel that it's important to learn about the author's life, which helps us then understand um, his purpose of writing the book. So please feel free to download it and read along with me. Um, uh, I will probably be focusing on the book for the next few weeks, and this is the first time I'm reading the text, so I'm very excited about it. Again, it's called 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro with Complete Proof, and that's written by Joel Augustus Rogers. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and start on page 10. And let me go ahead and pull it up. Okay. J.A. Rogers was born on September 6, 1880, in Negril Parish, Westmoreland, Jamaica, British West Indies, to Samuel Rogers, a school teacher and Methodist minister, and Emily Johnston. Emily bore Samuel four children, Joel Augustus, Martin, Ivy and Oswald. When I once asked him where he got the name Joel, his answer was simple. Joel was Samuel's first son in the Old Testament. Joel's mother died in 1886 in Buff Bay, about a month after the birth of Oswald. A grieving widower, crying and all broken up, Samuel soon moved to St. Anne's Bay, where he met and courted his second wife, who bore him another seven children, the first one born in May 1888. In the meantime, Ivy, born in 1884, was sent to live with her maternal grandmother, who at who had a girls' school in Savannah, Lamar. 
Ivy did not cherish that experience, remembering her grandmother as stern and very hard on her. Samuel moved from school to school, always trying to better his financial situation. In the end, he became the manager of a large plantation, Stettin. When when we were in Jamaica in 1965, Joel remembered the location exactly, recognizing the roads leading to it, but the estate itself was gone. Joel remembered his stepmother not unkindly. He felt that she had treated her stepchildren well, according to her lights, but that her love was for her own children. And Joelle and his brother Martin were none too pleased when they saw her pregnant again and again. Now there, were, there will be even less affection for us. The problem, the way Joelle saw it, was with his father, who is excessively stern with the boys, down to the youngest, Ian, born in 1900, while the girls remembered a different side of their father. Anyway, his father had an education as had his uncle, Henry, a survivor. While with 11 children, all Samuel could do for his own children was to be sure they had a good basic education. Joel never forgave him for that, nor that he did not give him much guidance. However, his uncle Henry had a large library and Joel read and read and read. After failing to get a scholarship for college, Joel joined the British Army and served with the Royal Garrison Art- Artillery at Port Royal. When his unit was about to be transferred abroad, a medical examination revealed a heart murmur, and Joel was considered unfit for foreign service. By chance, he met a friend in Kingston who told him that his brother had immigrated to the United States and liked it there. Joel decided to go. While the Jamaican, while the Jamaica of his day was quite color conscious, Joel did not think of himself in terms of color, but rather in terms of class. His father had not allowed him to play with the black children on the plantation. After all, he came from a family of status, light-skinned, with household help. It therefore came as a great shock when in in the New York City of 1906, he was discriminated against in a Times Square greasy spoon. The rage and humiliation he must have felt were still evident as he retold the story throughout his life. He had a number of jobs in New York City as a delivery man and worked briefly in a bookstore in Montclair, New Jersey, where he was introduced as our latest arrival from Cuba. He was being passed as white since Jamaicans were considered regardless of complexion colored. He did not like that and eventually went to Canada. However, in New York City of 1906, he loved Coney Island and in later years liked to go there at least once a year. He also enjoyed the cartoon, the the Cats and Jammer Kids, which was popular at the time. Joel went to Chicago, where he studied commercial art for nine years, supporting himself as a Pullman porter, only to to discover that the only work 
open to him, even after getting an honorable mention for his work, was a house painter. He remained a Pullman porter, which paid well, gave him the opportunity to visit the 48 states and to meet many interesting people until he moved back to New York. Some of his experiences as a Pullman porter were fictionalized in From Superman to Man, Although fictional, the historical facts are true. I have always felt that you hear his voice, meet the man, mentioning all the books he read, the authors, the art he saw. He had been reading all his life, had been deeply impressed by Dumas, by Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, by Plutarch's Lives of Illustration, illustrious Greeks and Romans and had studied the works of Schopenhauer for 10 years. He identified feelings that human goodness consists of treating others with consideration, sympathy, and generosity, that goodness consists of treating the welfare and rights of others as important as one's own rights. Joel became a naturalized citizen in 1917 and published the first edition of From Superman to Man the same year. By that time, he was serious about his mission, the research into the origins of the human race, had found out that to be accomplished, you did not have to have to be white. In the American definition of the word, Also, most importantly, that slavery was not an inherently black condition or fate, that slavery had been around throughout recorded history. During his early years in the States, he helped several of his siblings with their passage to the States. He was friendly with all of them, but one has to understand that he was a man with a mission, which they did not share. Their concern in life were different from his. They had families, they had livings to make, lived in white neighborhoods, and can certainly not be blamed if they were less than eager to listen to his latest findings in his research all the time. Passing or not had nothing to do with that, very much apart from the fact that that in surroundings divorced from his research, he questioned of his, he was questioned of his color or lack thereof, did not enter either. However, having had the early experience of his father firing eleven children and the emotional de- deprivation he felt, he was a confirmed batch, bachelor for most of his life. Although with the sheer volume of his work, his books, his pamphlets, his articles, and the fact that he traveled so extensively and lived for long stretches at a time in Paris, there really was no room in his life for a wife, for most of his life. Joel moved to New York City in 1921, where he met George Schuver, who became his lifelong friend. He began to write for all the important Negro publications of his day, The Messenger, The Pittsburgh Courier, The Amsterdam News, writing for the latter too until his death in 1966. He also met H.L. 
Minchkin and wrote for American Mercury. Even in the 1920s, George Schuler stated in his book, Black and Conservative, that Joel had a tremendous knowledge of the historical backgrounds of the Negro and especially the miscegenation around the world. He took his first trip to Europe in 1925. He went to Paris in 1927, to Germany in 1928, to Egypt in 1930, back to Paris and also to Ethiopia. Whereas a correspondent for the Amsterdam News, he covered the coronation of the Ras Tafari as he became the Imperial Haile Selassie. In 1935, he went back to Ethiopia to cover the Abyssinian War. Over the years, while retaining a resident in New York, with the exception of World War II, he made Paris his headquarters, doing his research from there. At the British Museum in London, in Copenhagen, Oslo, Stockholm, Berlin, spending his time in museums, art galleries, antiquarian bookstores, churches, while in New York, he went daily to the rare book room and in the New York Public Library. Though Joel was an American citizen, he found life in Europe, especially in Paris, very congenial and gained recognition in France, as well as England early on. Recognition in the U.S. was much longer in coming and really quite spotty, though he did have his admirers, as I especially found out after his death. However, I never felt the recognition he had here was enough, considering the work he had done. Helping to give them a leg up in the world and the intellectual wherewith to do something with their lives. I always felt and voiced it at the time that had he used his brilliant mind and his dedication and tenacity for it, say cancer research, he would have had a Nobel Prize and the financial rewards instead of the hand-to-mouth existence he lived most of his life, plus the lack of appreciation. While he did not disagree with my sentiments, he always felt that he would come into his own once he was gone, and he would be vindicated, which, which proved to be true. Anyway, he did what he wanted to do and lived the life he wanted to live, and he died a happy and fulfilled man. He used his knowledge in his weekly columns in the Pittsburgh Courier, the Amsterdam News, the Chicago Defender, and other publications. Thus, he popularized black history, and he was recognized as an authority on the history of African people on race and race relations. His columns on history were read by the general reader and were meant to give him a sense of self-worth and the feeling that he can become somebody in his own right and was not inferior to anyone. He fervently believes in the right to an equal chance at the starting gate of life, unencumbered with such with a sense of inferior, inferior, inferiority. He believed in one race, the human race, and that color was meaningless and did not stand in the way of achievement. 
Thus, nature knows no color lines. He made the attempt to locate Africa's proper place on the maps of human geography. He had found in his research that the Egypt of the pharaohs was not a white country by looking at Egyptian art. Egypt had a profound influence on Greece and not the other way around. That the white man civilization was only a, a constituation of African civilizations of antiquity. All findings that did not make him very popular, but that have been validated in the meantime. Charles Darwin predicted that the deepest roots of human evolution would be found in Africa. Joel also came across Dr. L.S.B. Leakey's research and, and find of fossils in, the, in East Africa, providing the earliest man did indeed arise in Africa. Just recently, a team of paleontologists from the University of California at Berkeley, led by Dr. Tim D. White, have broken a critical time barrier and found in Ethiopia the fossils of the oldest direct human ancestor, giving him the name, let's see if I can (laughs) pronounce this, Austro... Lopitheticus Ramidus. <laughs> As was generally the case, J.A. Rogers came across information publicized but considered controversial and way off base in his statements and conclusions. Then research found him to be correct and could go beyond it, thereby validating it. Dr. Leslie Dunn of Columbia University who was one of this country's leading genetics, disapproved the notion that the contribution of each parent blends in the actual differences among the races. Geographic isolation, migration of populations, and especially mutations of genes have created subgroups. Dr. Dunn argued, but these differences do not imply a basic difference of race. Much was made in Joel's lifetime in the States, though not in Europe, where he was recognized early on of the fact that he was not a man of academic letters. That very much misses the point. He was a man who had learned idiomatic German, French, and Spanish, could do his research in all these languages besides English, and speak the languages fluently. He did the legwork and knew what to look for in his research. To try to evaluate his contributions to anthropology, racial origins, historical research in the light of today's basic academic requirements before anybody could get a foot in the door somewhere is to look for Henry Henry Ford's degree in engineering, John D. Rockefeller degree in geology, etc. Advanced education was very rare at that time. And that fact certainly neither stopped Henry Ford, nor Rockefeller, nor anybody else. 
time marched on there too. And today's cars are as far removed from the earlier cars. Oil drillings has evolved greatly and so on. In his research all over the world, by looking at the artifacts firsthand, he compiled a body of history as a pioneer. With all the glories and drawbacks of a pioneer, decades ahead of his time, a work that will stand at his monument and will have to be referred to in any U.S. teaching of integrated history, integrated in the proper meaning of the world, history taught in its proper perspective without trying to gloss over historical facts for one reason or another. In his book, Africa's Gift to America, Joel stated that more than one half of the world's cotton was grown by the black man in the South by 1918. He perceived it as the black man's crop. Professor Robert W. Fogel, who won the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Science for 1993 in Stockholm, wrote a book on slavery, Time on the Cross. In 1974, in which he argued that the owners of slaves looked upon slaves as economic assets and treated them as well as livestock, that slavery was an efficient system for growing cotton, and that the system collapsed for political, not economic reasons. And that's the New York Times, October 13, 1993. As John H. Clark stated in his introduction to World's Great Men of Color, Volume 1, In biographical research, Rogers journeyed further and accomplished more than any other writer before him. Also, in more than 45 years of travel and research, two generations, he more than any other writer of his time, attempted to affirm the humanity of the African personality and to show the role that African people have played in the development of human history. This was singularly his major mission of his life. So I just want to read that again. More than any other writer of his time attempted to affirm the humanity of the African personality and to show the role that African people have played in the development of human history. This was the singular, this was the, the singularly he, he made his, he major mission of his life. It was also the legacy that he left to his people and the world. As the New York times book review of, of February 4th, 1915, 73, written by John Ralph Willis had it. In reviewing world's great men of color, Rogers' reputation rests on two foundations. He brought African biography out of the backwater of world literature, and he removed the great undiscussable of sex race as a formidable taboo for professional review. He did more than anyone else in the field, and he and he had his writings been heeded, maybe, and had his writings been heeded, maybe he would not have the awful mess with with our schools, with the inner cities. He married when he thought that he had the most of his work completed, 
and therefore a free mind for yet another adventure, marriage helper, Africa's gift to America, as well as the five Negro presidents were written subsequently still he put as much effort into being a lovely husband as he had previously put into his work. He had a stroke while in Washington, D.C., where he visited friends. We had all spent all day at the National Gallery and the Smithsonian Institution, where he found interesting things for his new book. He planned to go back to the Library of Congress the next week for further research on the um, Olmecs, while he had established long ago that there had been migration from Africa to South Africa around 500 AD, again, something only validated after his lifetime, which accounted for some of the seojonomies he found on the monuments. He wanted to write in depth about the Olmecs. He died on... March 26, 1966, in New York. His work is his own monument to a brilliant, committed, highly idealistic man. To quote him, do we consider a a man great because of the degree to which his life and action affected humanity? Using this criterion alone, he was a great man. And that is, I'm going to end right there. That ends um, all about the author in the book. And I actually downloaded this on um, Apple Books. So I'm kind of reading it off my phone. But um, you know, he 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 was a true Renaissance man. You know, after reading all about his life, you know, he was so knowledgeable. Um and I'm I'm just so surprised that I didn't learn about him in school. Um I know that Akeem wanted to come on with me and I think I think he is here. So I'm going to open up his mic. Hello, Akeem? Hey, what's going on? Hey. Hey. So, yeah, I know you wanted to um wanted to do the show with me. So what did you think about um his life? Joel uh, Rogers, he, the author. Well, what he did was he proved that all of history is basically what we call black history. <laughs> it was right. what, 28 day month, sometimes 29 month. And that's, mm-hmm. it, you know, and he showed that mostly everything that we're dealing with comes from people of color. Well, mostly right. everything. Right. The other groups only uh, emulated what was already in, invented. Oh. Right. But yeah, like he said, he, he showed proof that um, the Egyptians were the ones that created um, many things that the Greeks. Yeah, 
it, all of your what you call Greek mythology, even with the gods, are just copies of the African gods. All mm-hmm. of them. So, mm-hmm. and same thing with religion. <laughs> all of religion is just copies, especially modern day Christianity, Judaism. Uh, and all of that are copies of ancient religions that were formed by people of color. Even your, even Christianity, and well, well we, there was a group of people called the uh, the, the Christ. Something mm-hmm. I forgot the title of the group, but this group of people walked around wearing white hoods, mm-hmm. which is the same hoods that the Ku Klux Klan wear. Right. That's <laughs> so they copied off of a group of people of color. It's in that book, Laundry Negroes. It's in that book. Right. Book well, it's not from. surprising because, um, you know, history always repeats itself, right? Yeah, history always. It's not about history repeating itself. It's there's a group of people who are claiming other people's inventions as their own. Simple. Hmm. It's that plain. And even when you watch shows like Ancient Aliens, where they talk about they believe aliens came and created different technologies in Mm -hmm. the same regions where people of color live, right? But Mm -hmm. what you notice is there's white men telling you that. There's not people of color saying that. So what they're trying to say is times those people wasn't sophisticated enough to build pyramids and stuff like that. When they were sophisticated enough, they were in high sciences. You got to remember Methuselah, who was instrumental in building that tower to the heavens. Methuselah, yes. The Tower of Babel. Uh, Right. So (laughs) these are all people of color. You you know, everything pretty much in the Bible is people of color. When you get to the the New Testament, they change the names of all of those apostles. Those are not even the original names. All of a sudden they got, you know, you know, European names when it got to the, you know, to the newer, newer Bibles that we have now. So let me ask you something. I notice you keep, like you say, people of color, and I've, I've used the word people of color too. Um, And, you know, a lot of times we'll say black, but I know you, you say like, we're not black. And I, we're not black because I understand that, but yeah, yeah. go ahead and explain it. White people were called black back then. What we call white was the, the black is a derivative or a another word for bleached. Mm-hmm. But in this modern times, we interpret black as uh, you know people who are dark skinned. But I have a dictionary from 1828 that describes black as bleached, pale, wane, livid. Those are all other words for white Definition. or bleached. Right. Mm-hmm. So. What they did was they switched terminologies on us, and plus, black is not a what we consider what we really call it. You know, black is not a people; it's a color. Same thing with white. Yeah. So why do you think they are not even accurate when we talk about people? They're not even real. When they just in this modern time, they said you're black, you're white, created this division in our minds, and, right. and this is Great what we're division. really fighting against—a lie of right. calling people these different colors. Uh, right. Black really meant you were like when they say you were black bald. 
you know, mm-hmm. it was you were not you were cut out of something. You were, you know, to take part of something. That's what they, right. you know, when they use that word in that term. But then they associated it with people of color. Why? To keep them out of things. So right. I can go on and on about that, but back but that's to interesting. all these I mean, original inventions. Mm-hmm. We don't really right, think to look up the definition of black, you know? Well, you can't, unless you bought this dictionary that I have, you would think it would give you the same definition. Now, that same dictionary is a PDF online, but when you look up black on mm-hmm. that online version, they've even changed it on that to what we believe it is today. So there's, mm, a, deliberate attempt, yeah. there's a deliberate and effort mm-hmm. by the, the society, the people that's in control, to make sure that people of color do not get credit for mm-hmm. what they contributed to this world, which is pretty much everything. Your music, even country music, is a spinoff right, right, <laughs> of right, ancient right. African music. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it, everything comes from what we call people, what I say people of color. And when I say people of color, I'm talking about Egyptian, African, even right here, American. The term American right. is people of color. Even in that dictionary, right. it describes well, American, I mean, the original copper-colored people. I mean, yeah. would you consider white people people of color? Because they are of color. No. They're... No. They're okay. not considered in that group. They're they're different. They're, they're uh, Europeans. Uh, no, they're not people of color. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're... they're Okay. Totally different group when it comes to, yeah. Okay. Now, okay. I can go into the whole genetic thing, but I won't go that far. <laughs> people of color, people from different shades, from dark skin to a lighter skin with pigment, or, you know, melanin right. in their skin, predominantly. That's people right, of color. Right, right. Well, you know, so just, your I East Indian that... is a person of color. Even right, your Asians right. are people it's of color. Right, right, right. <laughs> you see what I'm right. saying? You know, yeah. and what well, we're I calling asked, white today, what we're looking at as white is not really white. There is a distinct group of mm-hmm. pale that you pretty much don't see anymore. You know, mm-hmm. they're blue eyed and their skin is almost transparent. Like you just, right. you know, that that's the the real pale face. But the mm-hmm. other ones where you have the really what you call uh, not pale, but uh, fair skin. They are people of they could fit in the group of people of color. I, I think that's what you were saying. Yes, but yeah. there's a the group you really don't see them almost extinct. That really would be considered white or pale. Right. You know, with the average what we call white is still fit in the category of people of color because if you dig deep into their lineage, they oh mm. uh, they uh have. African ancestry, you right, know, right, or, right. you know. Right. So, and you were, I think a, a, you already kind of answered the question, but like I had asked, why are so many contributions um, which were made by people of color, why are they not taught in school, schools? And, you know, you, you answered the question pretty much, you know, talking about, um, well, the 
the, the reason why they won't teach dark-skinned or the true history is because they have to keep the, there's an agenda. Mm-hmm. Because if the people of color knew that they were the true Americans, and, you know, especially in, in what we call the United States of America, that mm-hmm. they were the original Americans, then a lot mm-hmm. of this land have to be given back. A lot of restitution have to be made. And that's a lot. That's the last thing they want. They're giving, they have been given rep. They've given restitution to certain groups on small right. scales, but right. once, the mass majority you understand that many, many they of really us are, are indigenous they, to this country. Right. right. Would you say? I said once we understand that once we once many of us understand that we are indigenous, that many people of color are indigenous to this country, or many black people are indigenous to this right. country. That that's something that dynamics. Right. They, well, you, you, well, that causes a problem for for how things are ran right now, right? I mean, it's already established that the Constitution that we call the United States Constitution is a a, a, a copy, a, a a makeshift copy of the Great Law of Peace of the people of the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. See, if you notice what you was reading, which you you, you read it, but I don't think you caught it. Mm-hmm. He said he did most of his research in the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. That yeah, where he, he got on a lot that, of yeah. he was in the Library of Congress. So what right. what he just said, and that's true. But all real history is in the Library of Congress. Right. The right. stuff you're getting in textbooks is some guys, mostly people of pale faces, who mm-hmm. are writing histories for school based on an agenda that they want right. to program people to believe something that's not true you know right. when they talk about indigenous people they talk about you know indigenous people as wearing these cloths and they're savages and scalpers you know mm-hmm. which is so far from the truth it's, it's ridiculous to even believe that that lie now um, can anyone get the, that information from the library of congress yes it's it's right online nationalarchives.org gov you can go and do it yourself. The only problem with Library of Congress is you pretty much got to know what you're looking for, type in stuff, play around. It'll take you a long time to find different things, but it's there. Mm-hmm. It's all free. Now, if you right. want certified copies of it, you just call up, and they'll give you certified copies. They're very mm-hmm. happy to give you the stuff if you call for it. I've, mm-hmm. I've gotten plenty of things from them. I mean, wow. you could actually research your whole family history there. Through the Library, Through the library of Congress. Or the National Archives. Yeah, and I know you have done it. You've done that. Yeah. I need to do it as well. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to reading um, the rest of the book. And I know you said it was like, um, like the way he organizes it, it's um, like short paragraphs. Right. Um and right. yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading on the ancient civilizations because that that was something that I've always wanted to learn more about for myself. Um and it's just mm-hmm. a, it's just a shame that we don't learn it in school. Well, 
you're not going to learn it in school. We can't. We got to stop expecting these. The, 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 the education, compulsory education, was designed for one thing: to create people as a workforce. That's mm-hmm. it. It wasn't there to educate you to understand who you really were. It's only mm-hmm. there to educate you because the ideal that they pump in school, get a good education, which means get the education. I'm going to stuff down your throat, and then get right. a good job. That's the that's the motto. That's their right. only goal. So to believe that they're going to give you true history has always been crazy, and that's when you talk about because when they talk about civil rights movement, I mean black history as they call it, they'll talk about guys like Martin Luther King. Why? Right. Because right. he fathered in or helped usher in our miseducation. I don't mm-hmm. care if anybody, it's the truth. He, integration into schools, integration into their businesses, integration, integration, integration. Why would I want to go to somebody's restaurant that don't like me and eat the food that they're cooking? Come on. So what they don't talk about during that time, there was a group of people that did not agree with Martin Luther King, saying, uh-uh, this is going to be detrimental to our people. They won't talk mm. about that. See, whenever you see this government putting some black leader on a pedestal, they mm-hmm. put him on a pedestal not to help you. They put him on a pedestal because it helped their agenda. Mm. He was great for their agenda because look at, it, look at the state of us right now. We have mm-hmm. no wealth as a people. Pretty much none. We have individuals with wealth, but we don't have collective wealth. We don't have collective bargaining. We have a large amount of us who are miseducated into agreeing with being a Democrat when the Democrats was founded by the Ku Klux Klan. So, you know, so it's so much. When you see these certain individuals that they put on pedestals, if you read deep into their history, they kind of ushered in our current state of our state, our condition. They kept kind of helped it along. So, mm-hmm. you know, people might not agree. I know a lot of people that won't agree with me, but I could care less. I, the proof is right in front of me. Look at our people. <laughs> Look at them. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've been going to the school, obviously going to the same schools, and we come out where? On the bottom. <laughs> so... <laughs> You, we have to create our own schools. If you want our people to learn this stuff, we have to educate our children ourselves. That's the only way you're going to get it. We can't depend on other people to educate our children. We have to do it. Yeah. But I did want to read something from this book, and it was about medicine. Okay, go ahead. Oh, uh, number thirty-three. Medicine. It's the. It's under okay. the subtitle the medicine. Third. It's in that same book. It's 33. Okay. Imhotep of ancient Egypt was the real father of medicine. Mm-hmm. He lived about 2300 B.C. Greece and Rome had their knowledge of medicine from him. In Rome, he was worshipped as the prince of peace in the form of a black man. Mm-hmm. Don't that sound a lot to me, a prince of peace? Who else prince they call peace. prince of peace? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Wasn't Christ called the prince of peace? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm moving. M Hotep. M Hotep. M Hotep. His Ethiopian portraits show him a Negro. M Hotep was also Prime Minister to King Sosa, as well mm-hmm. as the foremost architect architect of his time. Mm-hmm. The saying, "Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die," has been traced to him. Hippocrates, the so-called father of medicine, lived two thousand years after M Hotep. 
Imhotep. So mm. two thousand years later, you got Hippocrates, who they credit uh, right. everything to him. So, right, and Hippocrates. It, that's what you take the Hippocratic oath when you become a doctor. Oh, okay, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So he was the real father of medicine. Right. Hippocrates came 2,000 years after. And now, let me show you how coincidental that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 2,000 years after. Christ supposedly walked the earth how long ago? Was it 2,000 years? How long ago? About 2,000, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, you start to see a lot of similarities in some of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, Imhotep was the Prince of Peace. Imhotep. Hmm. And not only was he about medicine, because he said he was also, Imhotep was also Prime Minister King, as well as the foremost architect of his time. So he was also an architect. Oh, wow. He was an architect. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Right. 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 Oh, they said Jesus was a carpenter. <laughs> Starting to see some similarities there, aren't you? Very close yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I have mm-hmm. to. Def- I I would love to do more research on Imhotep because I'm looking at it now, and it says that Imhotep was an Egyptian chancellor. To the Pharaoh mm-hmm. and the high priest of the sun god. Very little mm-hmm. known of well, Okay, what is Jesus Christ supposed to be? The son of who? He was the sun god. Sun, right, sun god, right. <laughs> M Hotel. Right. When you start digging into this stuff, you start to make connections like, wow, okay. All of these things, just like I said, it's all emulations of what was ancient uh, spiritual schools of thoughts. Mm. There was no such thing as religion way back then. It was just, it was ways of life, spiritual schools of thought. It was teachings. They taught in in universities, they taught about the universe. In Mm -hmm. elementary school, they taught about the elements. That's Mm -hmm. where all of these terms come from. You see? Mm -hmm. Right. So when yeah. you see things like Harry Potter and all of those, those are elemental teachings, but mm-hmm. we call it witchcraft. The you know modern right. times we call that witchcraft, but those are really <laughs> elemental teachings, which we taught our people, our ancestors taught thousands upon thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. See? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I think this whole week. <laughs> I am going to do as much research as I can on Mhotep. Mhm. And just learn all about him. Father of medicine. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and even I think in someone... religion they switch things up cuz if you go to 47, mm-hmm. it says the oldest and most noted statue in the world bears the face of a Negro. It is the Sphinx. 
Page 47. Hold of on. Giza. Uh-huh. Which was worshipped as Horus. Cryhamachus, uh, the sun mm-hmm. god of light and life. It was erected about 5000 BC. The devil, okay. which is now depicted as black, was mm-hmm. once portrayed as white. When the black man dominated the planet, he painted the forces of evil white. When the whites mm-hmm. came into power, they shifted the colors. But at late, as late as 1500, the Ethiopians still depicted their gods and heroes black and their devils and villains white. Father Fernandez, a Catholic missionary who worked amongst mm-hmm. them at this time, says, they paint Christ, the Blessed Virgin, and other saints in black form and devils and wicked men white. Thus, Christ and his apostles are black and Judas White, uh, mm-hmm. Annas, Cepheus, mm-hmm. Pallet, Herod, and the Jews are white, while Michael is black and the devil white. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they, 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 everything's basically flipped mm-hmm. backward. They change, you know, because as they started to gain dominance, they saw that there was no place in history that they fit in, so they had to make themselves fit in. Mm, okay. So how do you do that? You just restructure the way people see things. Right. That's it. Well, there's a, a caller, mm-hmm. King. Is it? Would you, well, yeah, there's a the caller. Call. Um, I can open his mic. Let's see. All right. Three three one four three eight one. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. You know, you have a uh, question? well, my birth name is Pianchi. And a matter of fact, I spent about nine years in what you call Egypt in the south going in and out of temple tombs and pyramids. Mm-hmm. And I hear what people be saying. You know, there was no, no, recognition of, of skin color as being black that still is not recognized in societies mm. uh, when you talk about religion religion is a deification of an ethnic group's culture that's why come every ethnic group had their own deity you want to call God and those was created by man himself now, if you want to look at the oldest icon of a creator, that would be Ptah. Ptah said, when I came into existence, existence itself came into existence. What you call Egyptians in the north was not the Kushites in the south. The Kushites was the ethnocentric group. They did not believe in mixing. Mm. Their God forbid it mixing. Their God was Amen. The God of the North was Ra. Egyptians in the North were the amalgamated people, especially mm-hmm. the furthest north you went. They would be looked at today like what you call black, quote, Americans. Black Americans mm-hmm. are United States citizens, and it should be more uh, identified as native blacks because you got people with quote-unquote dark skin that come from around the world 
that are counted and really take advantage of some things that was made and put in place for native blacks, those who have the history of slavery, Jim Crow, and all that, that should be forbidden. And all ethnic groups have contributed to humankind. I hear people talk about the uh, remains of skeletal remains, and one being the Ossicopithecus mm-hmm. that the Amharic Ethiopians called Deknesh, and a British archaeologist and paleontologist by the hand of Johansson called Lucy. Lucy was not a fully developed human being. You wouldn't mm-hmm. want to share a room with her. She was still part primate. So those things have to be taken in consideration. They're not talking. You know, you said something about the days won't let you do things and you won't teach things. Well, you can teach whatever you want to in your school district. Mm-hmm. And I can give account to the state of Missouri and their laws on that as it applies to curriculum. And I'm going to read you just a little bit here. It says, notwithstanding the provisions of Section 160514, the State Board of Education and Department of Elementary and Secondary Education shall not be authorized to mandate and are expressly prohibited from mandating the curriculum, textbooks, or other instructional material to be used in public schools. Mm-hmm. So what they're saying is that people in them districts can have whatever you want. You don't have to. You don't have to refer that's to any true. day. That may be true, but you got people that's in control that's saying what they want. You got the school board. Uh, the, who's the who, head of that? Who elects the school board? Information. Who elects the school the people, board? The people elect right. it. And, and these school boards are all black. These school districts are ninety some odd percent black. That's blacks that control those schools in the city of St. Louis. I know very that's well. That's in St. Louis. That's and, not uh, everywhere. <clears throat> well, Baltimore, Chicago, your major cities, those cities are New controlled York. by, in in those uh, in, in Detroit, I know very well. Blacks I, control those I districts. agree they, that most of your big cities, urban cities, it is controlled by what we call black, right? Here's yeah. the problem. When you got a group of people that's already miseducated, what are they going to look for? Far as educating well, the other people, yeah, but it's but it's up to them. It's nothing stopping. It them is. A, I agree, but if they have already been miseducated on bad information, untrue information, what do you? And they believe that to be true. What do you think they're going to look for to, to to promote in the schools? Well, you know, in uh, in the seventies, coming out of the Black Power movement, you're not answering when my they question. Started, I got you a very specific question. If a person what is going to be taught in school, it's going to be taught whatever they, it's going to be taught whatever they let be taught. Right. In there. So but that's not always the same that's not always the case. Information. That's not always the case. You look at the coming out of the Black Power movement in the 1970s, mm-hmm. after blacks took over uh, and occupied the dean's office in one of your colleges out in California and said they wanted to have black history and black professors teach it. Mm-hmm. Then there was a movement to try to put African-centered curriculum in public schools. Right. And some school, districts around the con- some school districts around the country 
succeeded in doing that. For instance, right. like in Detroit, Detroit had a African-centered curriculum in every field of study in Detroit public mm-hmm. school. You had schools like Malcolm X, Paul Robeson, Malcolm Garvey, same mm-hmm. thing in Chicago, but that didn't work. Mm-hmm. So what happened, mm-hmm. you had blacks get together and form CB, the Council Independent Black Institution. At one time, they had 70 or 80 schools across the country. Now they're down to about six. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. blacks don't want that themselves. Mm-hmm. I, agree. I was the field, I I field director for African Center Curriculum for the St. Louis <clears throat> chapter, the National Black United Front. I agree with that. But my, my, here's the question. Like you said something. Hang on for a second. Hang on for a second. And what I'm saying is when I hear people say they, there is no they that's stopping. And see, when they say they, they precariously want to say it's whites. Whites ain't got nothing to do with that. They left those school districts and left it up to black people. So that is the day, and it should be more expressly mention who the day is because this word day is carried over different subjects from politics to education to economics so let me let me ask you a question because you you don't want to it seems like you don't want to want white people to take some of the responsibility for this is that what what i'm hearing you say what are you talking about what i'm talking about there was a deliberate a concerted effort to block true history from people of color. Now, well, if you've got a group of people who... Yeah, on, but you got to be more specific on. when you say that. Where did I this happen? I what you're saying, but hold on. If a group of people is already miseducated, and like I told you, if yes, they are in control. A lot of these schools, just especially in the bigger cities like New York, Detroit, uh, uh, when you like say that, miseducated, wait a minute. When you say miseducated, what do you mean? Because you have what I mean is. Talk, well, let me well, hang on for I a mean. second. Hang on. Let me let me explain what I'm asking. History. Listen, sir. I'm not going to get into argument. Now, let me mm-hmm. ask my question. I let you ask here. But when you're talking about miseducated, you got African American students in this native blacks in this country that's doing excellent when it comes down to academics. So when you say okay. miseducated, what do you but mean? In, in what, by what standard? What standard are you well, talking about? When I say when it comes down to reading, most people when it comes down to reading, do not know what we just read. Yeah, when it comes you know, down to reading, right? To what? Yeah, when that, it comes that, down that, to that, those are those are basics you're talking about. I'm talking about where people of color do not know that most of them didn't come from Africa. They came right from this land we're on right now. All right, so when you say people of color, blacks in the United States are mixed. Listen, Just like you know, Muhammad Ali. Call, listen, wait a minute, hang on for a second. Black all you want, but it, they're not black. Well, they're American. That's for, a popular, that's for a popular recognition of the term of the people you're talking about. Right. Now, what we call blacks today are mixed. So you have ancestors of biological genes that go toward Europe. Didn't Muhammad Ali go to Eunice, Ireland, in order to find part of his biological tree? But our original, our original ancestors are people of color. Well, people of color is 
a derivative when you don't want to say black because you can no longer say black. I, you know, Africans I don't, don't want, define I don't themselves like as being that black. Because that's a political uh, charged term. Yeah, but what I'm saying is this. Africans don't define themselves as being black. They don't. My wife is from the Volta region in West uh, Africa, and if I call her black, we're going to be fighting. So right. what you're saying I mean, is even, that when you say... Even in this country, you black was a, was a bad word. <laughs> Of uh, thirty years ago, that was a bad word to call someone. Well, we're talking about twenty twenty one now. Twenty twenty one, you look at what you call black. You got Alicia Keys. You got Wesley Snipes. Okay, you got Alika Dangote uh, from Nigeria. All right. So if you're saying that they need that Alicia Keys needs to know her history. They her history is not just from Africa, you know. We was we was in a school district right outside of St. Louis, U City School District, was U City High School, and the discussion was about putting more African studies in the high school. Several of the students stood up and said, "I want to know about all sides of my biological makeup, not just Africa." That's what the students said. And well, you got to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But what I'm saying, my point is this. The reason why people talk about Africa so much is because in this country, the dominant black history is that people came from here to this country, to the United States of America, as slaves from Africa. And my point, my whole point of that is that's not true. That. Millions of people came from Africa that were dark skinned like myself. We were already here. That's what my point is, and that's the history they well, need to know. Well, I've heard that argument before, and that needs to be more better. Where are the cemeteries? Oh, I tell you, right there under Trinity Church. Right no, there, okay. Central well, Park. So how many? Oh, how many? We're talking you don't about. Ask me about you know, because I can point them out. I mean, okay, so I'm when you talk about indigenous, up. I've read the congressional records. When you talk about people being indigenous to a landmass, mm-hmm. humanoids have traveled and wandered all over the place. No one That's knows true. who the first humanoid mm-hmm. to set foot on this continent. See, you're being no, very America. particular right now, but up, if you want to go billions of years back, you got a point. But we're talking about in our current history what we're being taught in school that most black people got here or at, you, from Africa as slaves. That's how we got well, you know, for the most part. It, and that's not to true. be truthful with you, what people study is the history of quote unquote blacks in America from the time that they was put in the Western Hemisphere. Nobody goes back and look why was it that they was put into that arena? Why did some African tribes expel their riffraff? And that's true. They See, did. That's another narrative that you, that no one's really proven. Oh, you know, you know, yes, it is. Oh, yes, yes, yes sir, it is proven. African, you had tribes that warred against each other. And I can name yeah. some, the Akamu, the Akamu there in West Africa and what we call Ghana. They used and to fight the Ashanti. Yeah, that war against each other. I mean, yeah. Had, and when and, and when somebody lost, wait a minute. When somebody lost, when somebody lost, 
based on, and they had caused a lot of riffraff, burning up villages, stealing cows, so on and so on. They had to make compensation for that. Now, when they was captured, right. they was either killed or they were sold off in order to get restitution for what it was that they done, never fully recovering. So those that were sent here got put into that incident based on incident. It wasn't all, but based on incidents like that. And, you know, here's a funny thing, now, too. Okay. Hang on, just, what, just a couple just more sentences. No, more no, sentences. no, no, you said enough. You said enough. Well, no, you I haven't enough. said enough. You now, said we enough. get in an argument. Because Don't get in an argument. You, no, I'm not arguing with you. I'm about to give Well, you let me back. finish saying this one more sentence. No, because, because you got to remember. Let me say this one more sentence, sir. in African people. You, I let you talk for a long time, and I'm talking now. And here's what I'm telling you. There's not just dark skinned people in Africa. There's not what? people will be called pale. That there's not just dark people in Africa. There's pale right. people in Africa as well, and those were the ones that were coming here as slaves as well. No, that, that's not okay. true. That, that is the Akan, true. The Akan that is, is just as see, dark as Isaac Hayes. Right now. The Akamu, the Akamu and the Ga. Matter of fact, the Ga is darker. They just <laughs> as dark as Isaac. agree on that, but we... This is where we're going to stop. You know, in Ghana, you know, in Ghana, they have, you know, in Ghana, they had 25 ports along the coastline. I'm not, here's the, here it is right here. Here's the plain and simple right here. You have your opinion of it based on what you read and studied. And I have my opinion of it based on what I read and studied. We're going to have to agree to disagree right there. Well, okay. I'm a little bit more closer. My relatives, my relatives come from these areas. But to be truthful, okay. but, but, but honestly, you have seventeen interior. You got seventeen interior slave markets in Ghana. You have twenty-five along the coastline. And when mm-hmm. people say that whites went into the interiors, that's just not true. That didn't happen. Which, which you, uh, slavery was going on to, millennia, as far back dated to the second millennia BC. The Barbary slave before, trade before that the common area. That went back as far as the second millennia BC, and actually, if you want to say something, it was Africans that taught everybody else about slavery because they've been such a long a phenotypical group oh, now, that has been involved in it. They was doing it. Now that's a point I will agree with. I will agree with you on that. Slavery was not a what we call white people thing. So when you look at history, it was. Dark people and chattel slavery that whole institution. You had yeah. you had uh, cannibalism. You had sacrifice. And all of you know why? Because they human beings. That's what human beings were doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But we we're just talking about how we're being taught here, where there's a deliberate concealment of the true history of people of color. That's what we well, this is deliberate, it, but it's deliberate in in my efforts to try work with people in order to have those type of curriculums. The mm-hmm. effort okay. against that was black people. Whites didn't have nothing to do with it. Mm. Well, that's an well, interesting I would, I would, Now, I would, I, partially, I would agree with what you're saying, that, you know, a lot of the issues we're having is not white people's fault. I, I would agree with that. We're, we have to take responsibility for our own education. And, and learning. And I tell you what, when you educate your black children, especially in those areas where there's a high demand like STEM, 
These corporations snatched them up by the hundreds. I've witnessed that myself at the National Society of Black Engineers National Conventions and from 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, 2017, 2018, I seen Northwood Grumman, a defense contractor, two years in a row hire more than 400 black STEM graduates at one time. In 2019, mm-hmm. Lockheed Martin hired more than 400, not including the other hundreds that were being hired by other corporations that was there at those conventions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they well, started off at sixty, seventy, and eighty thousand dollars a year. Sir, what's your name? That, that's good. Info, that's good to know. So people. Are My name is Bianchi. Bianchi. Bianchi Benko. And where now? Where did you say you were from? Your family was from? Well, a name revealed land, history, and culture. True. Bianchi. Bianchi is the Bianchi is northern Sudan. Bancola okay. is part of the A way that's uh, spread over in Nigeria. Bancola means builder. Bancola mm-hmm. Akinwale, Mega Egbe is a real long name. But I'll okay. use the short part. Okay. All well, right. thank you for. Um, well, thank we you thank for you for your comments. Yeah. Sure. All right. All right. Have a good day. Okay. That was an interesting yeah. perspective. <laughs> yeah. huh? I mean, yeah. a lot yeah, of what he was saying yeah. was true. Like mm-hmm. when he talked about it's not solely white people, because really it's a lot of our people that's keeping us in this educational void. Mm-hmm. That it's, 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 it's not, but what it is, it's a system that was created and right now it's on remote control. Mm. You know, where people are just defaulting to these these narratives that are harming mm-hmm. us. And well, like he said, once they properly educate themselves, then the world looks at them differently. Right. And that's why I'm saying, that, you know, we need to stop calling ourselves. The reason why we don't have respect is because we're calling ourselves something we're not. We're mm-hmm. not black. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, when even to say African is 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 is, a, is not even good because why? Because if I live in Egypt, I'm Egyptian. If I live in Libya, I'm Libyan. If I'm in Ghana, mm-hmm. I'm Ghanaian. You know, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Well, I know for sure that I am native. I'm a native New Yorker because I was born in New York. But you yeah. know, listening to both. All right, of but that you, was good. I like listening to both of you. Um, a lot. A lot of the things you you were both saying, um, it was similar. <laughs> yeah, he he, you know. he was talking about his you know his personal experience. I can't deny what he has come across because I haven't seen it, but right. I can talk about what I've come across. When you talk right. about cemeteries, right. I know a lot of those, that cemetery under the Trinity Church with Native people. Right, and you and he can't <laughs> deny what what you've experienced. Right. Right. So. I know that the, the large majority of the people that are here, did people come from Africa as slaves? Mm-hmm. Yes. But when you mm-hmm. look at the congressional records, it's not nearly, not even close to as many as they said it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it wasn't always that dark-skinned African. 
Mm-hmm. Now, also, the dark-skinned slave was more valuable than the lighter-skinned slave. That's the part they don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Because of the stature and the strength, and you know, you you're gonna get you're gonna get you know you, you want to get your bang for your buck, so you're gonna get the strongest, most thing. Yeah. And see, and, you know, they like using that word black. Black is not a good word because it has no standing in law. So when you walk into a courtroom and you start saying I'm black, you just automatically put yourself behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. You have to call yourself, they, you know. You, you, who you are. You're a national of America, American national, Native American national, Native American New Yorker national. Those are all correct descriptions of where you, who you are, where you're from. Mm-hmm. Black is not a description of anything um, that you can, you know, it doesn't attach to a land, like he said, a name attached to a land. The black doesn't attach to any land. White doesn't attach to any land. None of those terms. Well, I am learning right. that there there are a lot of different perspectives, <laughs> and um, and I was going to end, um, was going to end right. the show with a quote um, by J. A. Rogers. Did you have anything else to say? No, I have nothing. Okay, to say. okay. So I was going to end it, um, and it reads. Quote, in uh, his eyes met mine, brown eyes. I couldn't read anything as he turned away. I realized he didn't intend to tell me anything either. End quote. Mm-hmm. So please stay tuned um, to our shows during the week. We have the Bombay show on Mondays at 7 p.m. Of course, through Tuesday's show with Akeem L., um, who's on right now at 7 p.m., Solomon Temple's show on Wednesdays at 10 a.m., Jessica Tantasia's shows on Thursdays at 7 p.m., which is Divine Connections, and, of course, my show, Raising Independent Thinkers, on Sundays at 7 p.m. Now, is Akeem L., uh, is Akeem Jr. still doing his Saturday show? No, he hasn't done one in a while, no. Okay, okay. All right, well, I hope you all have a blessed week. Um, Tune in next week, same day and time. Peace.